Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Solution Podcast. Hey. Hey, everyone. <laughs> it is your favorite rule breaker, Brandon, and our lovely redheaded evil woman here. Miss Carol is with us. How are you doing? Better than you. <laughs> Why better than me? What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> it's what you it's what you're going to do um, we all know that hey i am santa's little helper and it's almost christmas so don't even you're the grinch <laughs> who are you kidding hopefully your heart will go three sizes listen i don't <laughs> listen i mean it I, may it may it may you have a new nephew that should soften you i do he i do have a new nephew and he does soften it and it's christmas time by the time everyone hears this episode um, it will definitely have been past Christmas, so we hope everyone has a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, we're so excited that Season 2 is wrapping up and getting ready for Season 3. Um, woo, woo. So we're also joined today by an awesome guest. I will let them introduce uh, themselves, um, and we're going to have a great conversation today in regards to the Georgia Senate runoff, which everyone is talking about. Um, so this is going to be a good episode. Hey, Jay. Hey, how you doing? Good. So we are joined by Jay Tomlinson. I will let you give a quick introduction of yourself and all things Jay. Sure. I'm the producer of a podcast called The Best of the Left. It's a uh, compilation curation show, actually, because I started it so long ago that I thought to myself, I don't know that I have the expertise to uh, give my opinion on on politics. Like my voice isn't necessarily the voice that needs to be heard by by people. And so I came up with an idea for a podcast in which I promote the ideas and the commentaries of people who I thought were much smarter than me. And so that's the whole idea behind the show. And it's been running since 2006. Hey, that sounds awesome because that sounds. Um kind of geared towards me actually I you know Carol and I had this conversation uh, in regards to politics because not everybody feels like because they're not in the one percent that their voice can be heard or that they can really make a difference so uh, that's actually really awesome now it's called the best of the left I is it's a, good to assume that is it geared towards um, what now society deems as the left side of politics or the right side of politics are you more left-leaning, liberal-leaning? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you would put me in the in the area of the Bernie Sanders style. I'm so in camp. trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Carol thinks she's in trouble because uh, <laughs> you know she is on the complete opposite side. And I'm not. I, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I'm not going to say complete opposite side because we actually. Our goal is to also break down some of these whole left-leaning, right-thing leaning because some of them are actually just about people. You know, Carol and I share um, a big humanitarian connection, and so that uh, yeah, I was going to say I'm very conservative, but I'm I'm even more humanitarian. Mm -hmm. So for us, that kind of plays a really big part. Um, into some of the conversations we have. Everything's not about Republican or Democrat or conservative and liberal. And we have conversations about those words being used interchangeably. Um, but our humanitarian side comes out of, comes out a lot of it. Yeah, l labels are pretty dangerous. There, there have been a lot of polls through uh, 
through at least you know the last 10 or 15 years that pretty steadily show that extremely progressive policies when you ask people would you be interested in this policy that huge majorities say yes but if you indicate who is supporting it if you say the democrats are considering this policy would you support it then the ratings for it go down. Wow. And that is entirely based on the labels they get put on it. I, I can definitely 100% see that. I have not had anyone yeah. bring that to my attention, but that is very valid. Absolutely. Well, we've had we've had a lot of racial conversations or because um, there's certain trigger words even for, say, Brandon, that he, he says, you know, the minute you use that word... It loses something for me. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of radical, it, you know, it's it's better to hear it as an extreme point of view rather than a radical point of view. Right. We we just had this conversation. Yep. Absolutely. Um, now, is this the same podcast? I we did. I did look up a little bit on you. Is this the same podcast you started in two thousand six? Yep. Yep. It's been running the whole time. Wow. So you were in the podcasting game long before it became popular. <laughs> And, and you wouldn't believe it, but I thought I missed the boat. I was, you know, I came to it a year after the first major wave of independent podcasters and podcasters were already getting sort of niche famous. And I thought, oh, no, how am I ever going to, you know, make a splash or anything? Wow. And, uh, and, you know, little did I know that it would take five or ten more years for it to really hit the mainstream. Right. And it's changed a lot, you know, technology-wise, so I can only imagine. Well, we are um, very happy to have you. I appreciate you joining us, um, especially on this Christmas Eve. So, guys, um, like I said earlier, we're actually here to talk about the Georgia Senate runoff. Um, It's very um, in your face right now. You've got all the ads from both sides and even some groups that are representing both sides. Um, you know, you are hearing about it in your daily news and on all of several media platforms. Um, and so we wanted to have that conversation. I am currently in the area. So, um, I've got family here, so, you know, they're a big part of it. I got friends in the, uh, Atlanta, Georgia area. So it's, it's, it's definitely been brought to my attention as well. Um, so I'd like to get us started with, uh, I think what I think is a really good question, um, and it kind of relates to people like me and either one of you guys. What, who answer. doesn't do their homework? Uh, hey, I I passed school. I did my homework. <laughs> I think book, I did a good book, job. Book boy. Hey, I, I, hello. I love my books. Um, so this is for either one of you. Feel free. Um, but I would like to ask for people like me who may not know the importance of what the runoff means. Um, why is this important? Why is it as as big of a deal as it is, um, and and why are we urging people to get out and go vote? Um, what you are seeing in the news um, is, hey, if this side wins, then they've got control over the Senate. Um, and so, aside from that, I guess you know you know if you're watching the news or see, or hear that, a genius can figure that out. But why is this really important? Because it's control of the, um, or the majority of the U.S. Senate. And so is that supposed to be a threat to anything? Why, why is that such a pressed issue? 
And these are just follow-up questions. Y'all know. I'm just trying to... For people who may not know how to... Or may not know how or may not have someone to go to, that's that's why I'm bringing it out like this. Um, I, if you'd like to go first, Jay, because Brandon knows sure. I've already got a list. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that that's fair. I, I, I wanted to give you a chance to, to fill in if, if you wanted to. But, yeah, the... the the majority control of the Senate determines whether anything will get done in the next two years or it won't. And, uh, you know, basically we live right now in a, a period of time that I think every, all three of us would probably lament as a hyper-partisan era. And it means that the parties uh, you know, or members of individual parties do not cross to the other side of the aisle to vote for uh, you know policies proposed by the other side, and with that being the case, it means that legislation almost de facto cannot be passed unless one party controls all uh, the the presidency as well as both chambers of Congress. It is a a terrible scenario that we are in, but that is the scenario we are in. And so we, I would argue, are in a time when we are in desperate need of having a lot of policies passed. We have a lot of issues that need to be dealt with. And Mitch McConnell, who is the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, who has been the majority leader, he sort of gleefully refers to himself as the Grim Reaper and says that he, you know, his desk is where democratic legislation goes to die. And so if he is allowed to maintain his leadership role in the Senate, then the Democratic Party, which will control the presidency and the House of Representatives, still won't be able to get anything done because basically this one person has decided to sort of control his office and control the party within the Senate uh, that, that he is part of with such a sort of firm grasp that he will not let anything pass. No legislation that is helpful to anyone will pass. And so getting two additional Democrats elected in Georgia will break that logjam and actually allow legislation to be passed that the American people need right now. Well, and while I kind of agree with that, I also see that as being an extremely scary thing to happen at this point in time because the country is so dis divided I think that if if we don't have some safeguards and while McConnell does hold up an awful lot it happens in reverse all the time and it's because we have this unhealthy two-party system and um, as I have said many times before I think that it's important that we find other avenues to break these two parties down a bit they're just too much in control I don't think either party should have full control of everything and especially going into this because I think that too many people voted for the wrong reasons in my opinion a lot of people voted because they hated Trump that's fine you know you didn't have to like him 
you can hate him, you can do whatever. The problem I have with a lot of people that I've spoken with is that's all they they voted because they hated him, not because of anything he or Biden said that they were going to do. It was just a matter of voting against Trump, which is to me dangerous because people aren't educated in what these two platforms are about. And so I think that if we give up all the executive branches and that one party is in control, the the Democratic Party isn't even a cohesive group right now. Um, there's two parties within the Democratic Party, the extreme left and then those who still lean towards the original Democratic Party. And so my fear is even if we have a 50-50 Senate, that still leaves potentially Kamala Harris to be a tiebreaker. And I just would like to see the Senate, even if it's just for the next two years until the next Senate race comes up, to at least have that buffer because some of the policies that the Democrats are coming up with right now are extremely to the left. You know, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> frankly, I, I think what you just described about the Democratic Party is the the sort of safety barrier you're looking for. The fact that there are conservative Democrats is exactly what is going to prevent the far left policies that, frankly, I would be in favor of. I have no hope whatsoever, zero hope, that even with a democratically controlled House, Senate, and presidency, I have no hope that the policies that I support will get passed. And so you should take comfort in that. Well, I would, except even the... the Right now, the Democratic Party wants to open the borders. Well, if you want to control the coronavirus, as they say they do, why would that be one of the first things that we want to do? Is, uh, that, that's a stated policy? I'm not familiar with that. Oh, yeah. Um, Kamala and Biden both um, want to ease up and stop. They've even talked about taking the wall down. Now, I don't know that they will actually do that. But yes, they do want an open flowing border. Now, I will say I have heard that on a few outlets um, when asked the questions about open borders. Um, I've heard a few political leaders definitely state that you know they're not trying to keep them closed forever they want to eventually open them up um i I don't know what that means in terms of policy but i have seen that so well they don't even they don't even denounce sanctuary cities right now they you know here's the other thing that the um I just heard Biden did a speech and I don't know where and I didn't get a clip of it where he um was telling everyone about this defund the police and this is what kind of scares me with Biden I think we can all agree Biden's never going to make it four years in office so really when we talk of Biden Harris because he'll die or I I think <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy theorist um 
However, when you look at the actions that Pelosi has put in place already by coming out wanting to put a commission in place to be able to enact the 25th Amendment, um, at first nobody knew if she was doing that for to try to get Trump out of office. And I've said all along, she's going to take whichever path she wants. She truly hates Trump. She's made that very clear. Um, they even held up the stimulus package. Or is it because they want to protect themselves with Biden? Polls even show that within the Democratic Party, they don't like Biden. And so when we get to this... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I'm, we're we're a little all over the place. I'm 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 trying to follow. Your, oh. The idea is that Nancy Pelosi, during the period when uh, she was implement or you know calling for the implementation of a commission to uh, sort of restructure the way the 25th Amendment gets enacted, that she was actually looking forward to what she thought was an inevitable Biden presidency in which she suspected he would be incapacitated but would refuse to relinquish his office and that's why she did all that that's one that's one of the theories and those are theories because she she says she didn't for either one but it's right in the middle of everything so a lot of your talk shows podcasts and things like that that was one of the things that's out on the table as a difference between whether or not it'll be a full democratic Biden administration or what it means to be a Biden Harris administration going into these two Democrats that are running in Georgia. That all falls in line with the type of progress that the speaker would like to have. I don't know if I'm making sense here. Could you say, um, well, maybe if you said that in a slightly different way. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a real push on the Democratic side, and I'm not saying not on the Republic side, to have a very progressive walk through Democratic politics. There's even the fight between um, uh, AOC and the Democratic Party as to what their policies should be. Sure. And when you look at these two, the two Democratic people running in Georgia, they fall very similarly to the more progressive side. That's what scares me in this race of having a full, all three executive branches under one party. I don't mind change and I don't mind things. I want to see more that's really geared towards everybody and not a few. Right. So you mean like a a policy like uh, um, being able to buy into Medicare? Yeah, I, I, ha- I am all for health care reform. I am not, however, at this moment in time, health care for everyone. We can't afford what we're doing now. As the richest country in the world? As the, well, we're the rich, we, we, we say we're the richest country in the world, and we try no, to t- tout that. No one tries to 
no one tries to tell us we're liars when we say that. Also, our current healthcare system is more expensive than if we were to run it as a single payer system. Medi- like oh, Medicare, I- Medicare costs less than private health insurance. And so keeping everyone on private health insurance is more expensive than if we were well, to run it differently. And see, to that, I would have to say, I, you know what, based on an employee situation, I don't see that. Bec- that's because I have one of the very last employers that offsets my entire health care no, program. No, but they're, they are putting money into like they are paying a part of your right. health care costs and you probably pay some amount and that is that's a real dollar amount and that is part of your compensation package you are doing work you are getting compensated for your labor part of your compensation is your health care but it's a much larger chunk of your compensation package than it would be if our health care were run as a single-payer system which is much cheaper but I don't because, want the government to run my health care. Well, I mean, they would just be running the insurance program, not your health care. Well, we go back to the to the Obama era when they implemented it. The first year was great. Well, they, didn't, after- they didn't get rid of the private health insurance companies who make a profit by charging as much as possible and paying out as little as possible. That's how a profit driven company works. And. So they're, they're pro- like part of the ACA that you're referring to was to limit the profit margin on healthcare companies to, I'm pulling this stat from way back in my memory, I think they're limit, limiting it to about 20%, but Medicare's normal operating expenses are only about 3%. And so before the Obama administration came in and did the healthcare reform that they did, private health insurance companies were making profit margins above 20%, 30% and beyond. And so they got capped and they limited the profit at 20, but the health insurance system that covers all older Americans runs with a, you know, it's, it's a basically a nonprofit. The government doesn't need to make a profit and so they just have to cover their expenses, and the expenses are about 3%. And there are no CEOs who fly around on private jets. You know, there's, there's nothing like that that is taking money away that would otherwise just be going to pay for people's care. And so when I say that a healthcare system, uh, and uh, excuse me, I don't even mean system, I mean a health insurance system that is run by the government as a nonprofit, it, it saves billions and billions and billions of dollars and and while i agree with a piece of that i mean that's a whole you know that's a whole nother show that i would like for the three of us maybe to do in the future because as it stands right now the people that i know that through that system first of all they said you could keep your doctor you couldn't Many people had to move doctors, but well, pri- I private insurance t- companies do the same thing. If you I've if you switch your you- health insurance company, you're not allowed to keep your doctor. Whereas if you have, see, the Obama administration didn't implement the policy that I want. They kept private health insurance companies in place. What the Biden administration is sort of floating as what they are proposing is a buy-in to Medicare and Medicare 
is a single-payer system. It doesn't cover everyone in the country, but if you were able to buy into it, a single-payer system is the kind of system that would allow it to pay for the health uh, expenses for any doctor you want. That's the point of a single-payer system, that every doctor should take, uh, you know, accept payments from that system so that you don't, like the, the, the problem that you're describing, which I hate, you know, w w when I was a kid, I had a doctor and my dad got a new job and my mom explained to me that I needed to get a new doctor. I was like, hold on, that doesn't make any, dad got a new job, so I can't see my doctor? How do you even connect those dots? It makes no logical sense. And that is the status quo. So the complaint you have, which I share, is not about what progressives want. It's about the status quo of our system. Well, once upon a time, there was only one, there was only one insurance company. Now, you guys are too young. Um, once upon a time, all there was was Blue Cross Blue Shield. They virtually had the market and everyone thought it would be less expensive if they diversified it and made it, you know, um, not a one system does all. And that's what scares me about going back to a one system if they have total control. And Medicare does run under a government umbrella. It's not run by the people. I would rather see a program well, the government that is, is run by accountable the people. To the people. Well, Corporations are not accountable to anyone but shareholders. Shareholders are not the broad base of people. No, you're, and, you're and very their, right. And their motivations are totally different. The government doesn't have a motivation to make a profit, but the motivation of corporations is to make a profit. That is exactly their motivation. Right, and but they also have a motivation to run that based on their political views, and that happens so, a lot. I'm What's going to get, huh? Government who, who, officials, period. Right now, if the government decides that they want to change something with Medicare, if that's the only choice we have, we will have no other recourse. And as we see except right you can now, vote them out. But that's well. That's supposed to be what happens. What What um, can you do when your private health insurance company decides to change their policies? Then I go well, find another insurance company. Yeah, ex except we're still sort of in the situation where we have these virtual monopolies within states where uh, the private companies limit the number of companies that are actually available and they all play the same game so if one company comes up with a good strategy to make more money there's no reason to think that the other companies won't follow suit and, well, and we are left with no capacity to fight against that well that's true so right Except now government regulation right now through um i've lost my train of thought with the word i was going to use Right now, as it stands, what has to happen is we. there are a lot of things that have to be reformed in order. See, I believe that corporations should not get a tax break for just coming to your city. I think that the tax breaks and things like that come when you go back and corporations, they seem to have lost their ability for moral obligation. Well, Used that, to, the idea that a corporation could ever have a moral obligation is a fallacy. It, it, like, well, it didn't used I, to be. 
Well, I mean, the 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 way publicly tra- so what you what you may be thinking back to is privately held companies that yes. were owned by a family or something like that, and then a person could choose to run their business however they want, and that is just not the case when a when a company goes public, they are required to uh, be accountable to the shareholders. And the only interest that the shareholders have is profit. And so I, I you know, I, some but doesn't people, that make the shareholders just as guilty of a lack of moral obligation? Well, I, I mean, yes, but I think talking about morality is a it's a side road. Like it, it's you're looking in the wrong direction. If you're looking for morality or you're wishing for a day when corporations were moral or trying to figure out what sort of reform we could have to make corporations moral, you're just looking in the wrong direction because that's not a possibility because I don't, I'm not the, the type of person who says that companies are immoral, that they are going out trying to be evil. I say that com- companies that are publicly traded and you know accountable to shareholders are amoral. It is just not part of their... DNA, like morality, right? Whether positive or negative, it's just not part of their DNA, and so there's nothing there to manipulate. Right. Well, while I get that, what I'm saying is, I think that we need to keep all three legislative branches, and they do need to fight it out. Some we have to have reform in this country. Capitalism has been made to be an evil thing, and it's not. Are there better ways to be able to do it? You bet you. Every corporation, every stockholder are all human beings. And there has to be a change in mindset, and it will never happen in the rest of my generation, probably won't happen in you all's, of how do we work together to make it, because we go back to these two senate races in georgia they're very different views they're either really conservative or they're really progressive um, do we agree on that with these two races as far as i know yeah I, I, i'm i'm happy to concede that point i i don't i don't really know i don't think that is the major issue i mean i, I think it's much more important who controls the senate you know two, two senators and the sway they have is relatively insignificant compared to which party is in control of of the senate but but the control of the senate right now is the issue are no, that, we, yeah that's what i'm saying i agree right so are are if we have all three branches so we have to go back to looking at the Biden-Harris platform because if they take control of all three legislative branches, there is no stopping them. They can put through virtually anything that they want and they're not going to be stopped by too much because the Democrats, the one thing I will say about the Democratic Party versus the Republican Party, the Democratic Party is very cohesive. Once you join the party, Th- that's for the, the most- exact opposite of what you you said about twenty minutes ago. That there's okay. a giant divide in the Democratic Party. There's the far left and the centrists, and that there's okay. a war going on. But what did I? Yeah, there is. If you go Which back I, and, and listen to him, 
Okay, but the flip side of that is, even though they're decisive to get what they want, they will stick together. AOC has already been downplaying Biden of the things that she disagrees with him about. But when it comes to this Senate race in Georgia, she's going to stand by them no matter what she agrees with or don't, because she wants them all to be in control. There's that's, to that's me, a, there's no checks. Aspect of both parties, and I'm not discounting that. The mm-hmm. difference is we are looking at the Democrats holding two of the legislative branches. Do we want it to be a runaway horse race, or do we want to have some form of check and balance in there? See, I I, I understand, like I I totally appreciate that that would work better in a world in which the way the legislature worked was that there was give and take and fighting things out. And that's just like, we live in a hyper-partisan era. So what I said at the beginning is that if you want anything to get done, then one party has to be in control. And so, which is the same in, in both directions. The only time that they were able to get things done under Trump's leadership was in the first two years when the Republicans controlled both houses of Congress. And so the same may end up being the case. Uh, I mean, the same was uh, under Obama as well. They were only able to get the ACA passed in those first couple of years because the Democrats controlled both houses of Congress. And so it is only in those brief moments of one party control that anything gets done. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that, you know, to me, the biggest problem is that we have one party who has a variety of ideas of how to make government work and another party who genuinely does not want government to work. It is their stated goal that they, you know, ever since Reagan started saying the problem is the government that the Republican Party has gone down that path and argued that you should elect us so that we can do as little as possible and make government not do anything. And a lot of people agree with that philosophy and and so they keep voting for that party. I profoundly disagree with that idea. And, and, the, and the fact is, a lot of conservatives don't agree with it either. They want government to do something, but the Republican Party as an institution has gone down a different philosophical path where they don't do anything. And so if uh, if they're in control, then they pretty much pass tax cuts. And if they're out of control, then they just block anything from happening. Those are the two things they do. Well, you know, I'd have to say over the last four years, we say that not much was done, but we had someone in office who was very controversial he was not a party player for the most part, which is why people are very upset with him from both sides. I'm the first one to say I didn't vote for him the first time around. I thought he was just too egotistical, but he he really did accomplish a lot of things and that got overlooked because of everyone. They started in on him before he even got in office. I think we've got to find, I'm all for term limits. 
I'm a huge supporter of Convention of States. I'm a huge supporter of Patriot Academy because I think that the controls got to get back to the people and not career politicians. The cities that have fared the best through coronavirus have been cities who've got governors and mayors who came out of business, not politics. And so the kind of the thing I'm looking at with these four candidates, who is stronger in business that can help guide that state and help those mayors guide that state to being successful on its own platform before we even get to the federal platform. I, I've, I've genuinely never understood that idea. The, the, the government is so different from business that I don't underst understand the idea that government should be run like a business. Government shouldn't make a profit. Government shouldn't be seen as having customers. <laughs> government is there to support literally everyone, which no corporations e even try to support. I everyone. wouldn't say they, no. I wouldn't they, say no because I've worked for a couple that were very employee focused, and then I've no, worked I mean, with some like you're talking about that just didn't care. No, I don't. I don't mean employee focused. I mean like well, the government. The government has. 350 million people to look out for and corporations but we don't. you don't think that we're their customer you don't think that the government has an obligation to do what's best for every american citizen i uh, so i i mean i i cringe at the idea of being called a customer instead of a citizen it's you know i don't i don't want to vote with my, with my dollars i want to vote with votes you know it's it's not it's not a metaphor I that i think I don't, I don't think it maps well, and, and what I'm saying is that, but to take that metaphor at, at face value, yes, the government is accountable to all of us, and corporations aren't, which is one of the f you know, fundamental differences between them, which is why I don't think that you know, all the people who say you know, business leaders know how to lead or uh, the government needs to be run like a corporation, it, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, I, I truly don't think that it makes sense to have a career politician. They, they are making it a business. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not totally against term limits. I mean, I, I honestly haven't put much thought into it. It's, uh, I mean, there are arguments on both sides that career politicians know how the system works and can help get things done. Um, but I also, you know... I, I have no love for politicians in general. So. I, was say, I agree with that they know how to get things done, but it usually benefits them, not us. <laughs> yeah, I, you know that that certainly can happen. So, I, it, and that's why I say the reform has to start. This is a really bigger picture than just one state. The problem sure. is right now we're at a push come to shove position with the state of Georgia. It's either going to give the Democrats full access to everything to run it the way that they want to, or there's a check and balance there, which I realize that not everything gets done that the president or the people want, 
but there's at least a check and balance so that you can't just say this is what we want to do and this is what we're going to do and it takes the say away from everybody it's one-sided because i i very seldom that that's why we have elections every two years that is that, that is the check well here's my question to you and i already know what probably the answer will be um both you and brandon do you feel that there is election fraud uh, uh no i i mean i i <laughs> i would listen to the dozens or hundreds of respected experts and secretaries of state all around the country and bill barr all the way up and down the government saying that no one can find any evidence of election fraud especially okay. not widespread election fraud that could change elections you will absolutely find isolated incidents of election fraud and it's usually completely clownish ridiculous individuals doing silly things which i would completely condemn but no anything widespread that would impact the results of the election there's clearly no evidence of that okay and so in 2017 you had democratic senators who questioned the voting machines i've been questioning the voting machines since 2004 2005 i hate any kind of voting machine with that doesn't have a verifiable sort of paper record and, and that right we agree on that i i yeah. fully agree with you on that which is comes to my point because in as late as 2017 senator warren um senator um, i always chop her name and i'm sorry globachar uh klobuchar klobuchar that's it mm-hmm. i don't know why i can never get her name right and then there was a third one all three of them sent letters questioning and wanting those machines validated and we did nothing for three years till now it's blown up in our face and we're losing a lot of people's faith and integrity of the integrity of those machines so i i'm in full agreement with you there's got to be a paper trail something that we can go back to verify that mm-hmm. what do you think brandon uh- you know, I, I have definitely stated before that I think the election process has some gaps. Um, you know, as far as the fraud situation, you know, it, there have been numerous accounts of fraud. Here's my perspective on it. I think the moment that the president said um, this was going to be rigged, they're going to steal the election, there's going to be fraud. I think that's the moment that people started believing it without any evidence of it. And so, so five now, years ago? Now you get to the point of well, we're talking to, even before Trump. So, and I've asked you this question before: Is why now? Why the Trump presidency? All of a sudden, it's everything's fraudulent, and the other party is frauding this election. But prior okay. to, you did not hear the scope of that. But like I said. Now, as Jay said, he has questioned it back in the early 2000s. You had three senators of the Democratic Party question it in 2017 
asking for them to be evaluated and nothing happened. And now I think I have never seen an election where you, despite mail-in, whatever, that you go to bed at night when the polls had supposedly been closed and then you wake up the next morning and find out that there's a hundred thousand plus votes that when so there was ask, no counting going on. No. So let me ask, do you genuinely not understand the, how the election night and, and the following days went? Because like I, I watched, I watched cable news. Like I almost never watched cable news, but cable news explained it pretty clearly in the weeks leading up to the election. I heard it explained over and over again. Everything that happened was predicted weeks ago like like weeks prior to the election and i've heard what you just said a lot of times from people who sound genuinely flummoxed and and i i just haven't had the opportunity to to speak with with well my uh, question then position. becomes how can it be that it only just like brandon said why only this time it has not happened in the past right. and so, and the well, counting had stopped so, so that's not true. The, the counting continued, which is exactly why the numbers keep going up. I mean, at election night and the days following, the counting is an enormous task. I mean, it takes hundreds or thousands of man hours to do that over the course of days or weeks. And it so does. The, and so, the, no, the counting, uh, it, either the counting hadn't stopped or if it was three in the morning and they were going to stop the counting and resume the following morning, then the reporting Maybe, you know, things were getting tabulated and the reporting was coming in. But, you know, the polls closing doesn't mean the counting stops. And so the, the you know, the, whatever the preliminary numbers in the evening changing to the next morning isn't strange at all. And your question as to why now and not in, in previous instances is also really clear. First of all, we have a pandemic which made people vote um, much more by mail than they ever had before. And the mail-in votes were, in, especially in the swing states wh where all these questions are being raised, the Republican legislatures of those states passed laws saying, or, or you know, maintained laws saying that those votes couldn't be counted ahead of time. So votes that had been cast weeks in advance had they were just sitting there waiting to be counted but they weren't allowed to be counted until election night and you know right. you may agree or disagree with that doesn't matter but the the fact is that the ballots were there they were always going to be counted and how they got counted and the pace at which they got counted was a matter of policy not a matter of voting nothing to do with the voters nothing to do with anything fishy going on it's just that um the mail-in ballots were always always expected to be counted later and to take longer there are you know additional envelopes that have to be opened and signature checks and all of those things that uh, aren't the case with in-person voting and president trump went on for months and months telling his supporters to not vote by mail whereas democratic voters who are also bizarrely uh, more concerned with coronavirus than conservatives are, were more likely to want to avoid voting in person. And so Democrats were more likely to vote by mail. So Republicans were more likely to vote in person. Their votes were likely to get counted first. 
Democrats were likely to vote by mail. Their votes were likely to be counted second. And so they named it weeks before the election. They called it the Red Mirage. They said, what's going to happen very likely is that when you go to bed on election night, it will look as though the president is ahead. But beware, the counting is still going and that you, what you may be seeing is called the Red Mirage. And what will happen is that heavily Democratic mail-in voting will come in afterwards and those numbers will shift overnight and in the following days. And that is exactly how it played out. So there are and, very simple answers to these questions. Well, I disagree in part only because there were several areas michigan was the first big one who sent everybody home and said we're done for the night polling is closed we've got to get some rest we will resume at nine o'clock in the morning so they did all their final stuff and then they went home so at that point if they've stopped and, and it may be that they kept going but there's a perception out there that was given that everything was to stop. And I think that's part of the, that comes back to an integrity and a transparency thing. If that's exactly what Michigan was doing, was going, hey, we're going to stop for the night. There's some things we got to wrap up and then we'll pick up in the morning. But they released those numbers at three and four in the morning after they said they were closed. So it may all be on the up and up, Jay. I'm not saying that it's not, but from a perception to the American people, and especially those who have never voted before, never watched TV, now we're going into a very high-charged Senate race with an election that a lot of people do not feel had integrity to it. So going into this Senate race, I think that they should have done more coming into this to alleviate people's fears of that. Who do, who do you think is fundamentally uh, responsible for the lack of faith in our elections? Uh, I think that it's well first of all it should be an integrity thing by state and unfortunately with Georgia they're in they were in contest in the federal election and now we're going to be in contest over the Senate election um, there should be more transparency within each state and sure. how they deal with the federal part of it and I'll be honest with you I think the media should be blacked out for a majority of the election, the time that the elections are going on. I lost yeah. a lot of faith in, and I watched, I actually did it as a family thing. It's not often that I have all of my kids at home during a, something as big as an election. And try explaining to your kids when you're watching and a, and a 22 year old looks at you and goes, what is that? When Virginia calls a race at 42%, mm-hmm. but another state at 75% won't call a race. That's disparity right there. But, I mean, the, so this is another good example of 
there are answers to those questions. I would take that as a teachable moment and say, that's a good question. Let's look it up and then find the real answers because statisticians will be more than happy to explain to you why some states are able to be called at 42% while other states are not able to be called at 75%. Like it, The teachable it, it, moment needed to be via the media because the media is driving well, the narrative. I mean, that, that's I, where I learn a, a lot of these things. Right. And I can get to my kids and I can sit down and have that discussion and, and, and do with my kids frequently over a lot of different aspects of life. Not every household does that. Not every household had somebody there to walk through that with them. What do we do with where does that lie? The people that are coming into those living rooms also need to be doing that as a teachable moment rather than having, I don't know, two million people walk away going, this ain't right. Because I don't know how many other people in that age group walked away going, what are they doing? And they don't go do the... I, I'm sorry, young people are not big. You're kind of in the minority, Jay. A lot of young people do not go research anything. They wait for somebody to tell them. Oh, no, I'm, well, yeah, that, that's what I said in response is that, you know, people like you who get that question should turn it on the kids and say, you know, that that's a perfectly fine question. Let's go find the real answer. The, the uh, I mean... I maybe I was wrong. I assumed that you didn't go research that question about how states can be called earlier sometimes and later other times because you brought it up now. I thought if you looked right. it up and you knew the answer, then you wouldn't have brought it up. So I apologize if I. Oh no, no, you're fine. But... Brandon will tell you, I'm always devil's advocate. Okay. My, I try to put stuff out there to make people make people go look it up. I think she's make... the devil herself. Yeah. <laughs> I think she is a real advocate when it comes to some of these questions. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, be, what, the, so I, I just want to go back to what I was asking: is that like when I, when I was asking who's a, who's sort of responsible for people's lack of faith in, in the election? What I thought is, how can the answer not be Donald Trump and and, and supporters uh, and you know those who are willing to go along because, as Brandon was pointing out, people started losing faith in the election the moment he said, if I lose, the election was rigged. And he said that five years ago. And so he, his, he's been able to beat that drum for five years. And so, you know, I don't know if anyone on this call thought that, but a lot of his supporters, you know, a some number above zero, began to agree that we should expect to see fraud. And then when the numbers started coming in, people would look for fraud in every possible instance. Basically, if I don't understand why something is happening the way it's happening, my first guess is going to be either fraud or we're being misled or why is the media treating it this way? And, you know, the, the media has a... A hard job. I'm not a big defender of the media, especially 24-hour <laughs> news. I think it's all pretty terrible. Um, I, I, I watched, you know, the, the returns come in for three or four days straight, and I described it as uh, feeling like I was in a coma. I, 
I, days disappeared <laughs> and I came out on the <laughs> other end feeling like I didn't learn anything over the intervening time. So I'm not a defender of theirs, but there is a, a sort of a balancing act to walk where they'll they'll explain some stuff, but but that question of how do you call an election, uh, you know, based on the numbers and the percentage of vote uh, reported. I mean, that's sort that's like it, it's like statistics 101, and as they're reporting the news, they're not they can't just like constantly be telling people how math works and, well, and so but, but there's also not just the math jay let's go back to the psychological part of that what also a lot of statisticians have come out and said is it will also perpetuate the end of the project because when your people out on the west coast are listening to what's happening on the east coast some people go oh well what does it matter if i go mm-hmm. my person's going to lose anyway or my person this my vote doesn't count i think that they very well should do education more than they're doing rather than perpetuating a vision because at seven o'clock at night when they're closing on the East Coast, they've still got hours to go on the mountain and, sure. and Western time. I are, think that are you the in media. Favor of the national popular vote? No, not at all. Uh, see, I, I, what is that? Can someone popular. explain that to me, please? Well, it, it means that it doesn't matter what state you live in, your, your vote counts equally as everyone else in the country. And, the problem. And so, I'm sorry, and go so ahead, the, Jay. Well, I, I, just so that that. The, the exact problem you're describing would not happen. Every single person's vote would count all the way to the very end. And, and it, it only wouldn't count if it was such a lopsided election that even if everyone on the West Coast or in Alaska and Hawaii voted for you know, the, the losing candidate, they still couldn't catch up. I mean, that, but we have a very tightly divided country and so that's not gonna happen. So Well, I, here's my problem with it. Los Angeles, New York, Houston, all of your big, heavy-hitting cities would actually run that vote for the most part. When you say you're, run that vote, I mean, everyone's be, vote counts equally. I know, but if you're, if you're matching those, the big cities in Chicago and all of them, they typically run one way with votes. Your small sure. towns and stuff would no longer have a say because yeah. the majority of your big city, I guess it, because it splits by party, I don't know of any big cities of those size that vote anything except Democratic. But That's the in- fear of the popular vote and there's no say by state. Uh, why should there be a say by state for the presidency? I mean, why, why does someone who lives in Ohio have a incredible power over who gets elected president, but the people who live in Wyoming or California have no say? Their vote literally doesn't matter because it is a foregone conclusion. So if, if you're a Republican in California, your vote does not count ever 
And if you're a Democrat in Wyoming, the same thing. But if you live in Florida or Ohio or Wisconsin, then your vote matters a lot. Like you're dividing between city and rural, but I'm thinking about the states too. I'm thinking like, why should we be ignoring like politicians running for president don't go and campaign in any but about seven states. That's ridiculous. The rest of the country is being ignored. So you're oh, concerned that cities would be, yeah, I mean, so, so you're concerned that cities would be running the elections, but in reality, we have seven states that are running the elections and no one else matters. That's terrible. Well, no, because they still have their, but see, that goes back to why the electoral college is important because that also gives that state the say. And the electoral college typically follows what the what the popular vote is there are two states and i apologize because i do not remember i know i think nevada is one but i don't remember the other they actually split their electoral votes um between based upon the their constituents yeah nebraska and maine both do that but i i so the electoral college has created two scenarios in the last two decades in which the losing candidate gets to become president. And so I I fully respect your concerns over the lack of sort of uh, belief in the structures of our elections. I can't imagine anything more demoralizing for a democracy than to have a system in which the person who receives fewer votes gets to be called the winner. Well, you know, we're really a republic, a democratic republic. Yeah, a democratic re- republic is a form of democracy. There, it really is, is but no it, difference. Well, but it it, it is because it, that that's a talking point that comes it, it comes out of the Cold War era when the hyper anti-communist uh, John Birch Society needed to try to like trick people away from anything sounding like. Uh, communism and you know communists were in favor of democracy and so they had to make democracy a dirty word and so they started saying and really emphasizing we are not a democracy we are a republic and it well, this goes able- back to the constitution the constitution no, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying that talking point i i, I okay. agree but but the founding of the constitution created I mean, America is called the world's oldest democracy for a reason. We are a democracy. A republic is a form of democracy. And to okay. argue and to argue that, well, actually, we're a republic is just another way. It's sort of a rhetorical trick that that allows a system that does not represent the will of the majority of the people to perpetuate itself. And that's what I'm concerned with. A, a system that doesn't represent the majority of people is not a stable system. I am deeply concerned about the stability of our system. The fact that we are hyperpolarized is destabilizing. The fact that two presidents in the last two decades have been able to be elected without getting the popular vote is destabilizing. It makes people angry. And your concern, which I uh, agree with your like the existence of your concern is super valid that the fact that people are concerned about the legitimacy of this election makes people mad and when people are mad they do dangerous things and when people are mad enough to do dangerous things that is destabilizing i'm not in favor of anything destabilizing so i have a, like policy proposals that i'm in favor of 
that I guarantee you would call radical, my vision for them is that they would be stabilizing to the country because I am concerned with uh, the the sort of hyperpartisanship that leads to things like, um, you know, Mitch McConnell refusing to uh, have a hearing on Barack Obama's final Supreme Court pick because that was a political move that he hoped would lead to a supermajority of conservatives on the Supreme Court, and it worked. And so within the scope of the rules, you could say, well, congratulations, Mitch, that was that was really well played. But that is just as destabilizing as elections that are seen as fraudulent, because the Democrats in general see that maneuver as being outside the bounds of normal politics, and it makes them mad. <laughs> and when people sure. are, are mad, it, it should make all of us worry about where politics is going and and the future of the country so but that's what brings me back to don't you think term limits will help fix that it's it's not on the top 10 of my list but like i said i'm not like i don't have a strong opinion and and sure like if if you and i were negotiating a set of bills and that was one of your backstops i'd say yeah put definitely put it on there if if that's what you need to have in order for me to get what i need then yeah, I wouldn't put up a fight about that. You know, I think listening to both of you has really um, it, it's it's brought to my attention several hypocrisies from the system. Um, you know, f- you know, for one thing, I, let's talk about popular vote. Why is it that? And these are just kind of ideas, not that we have to go into them. But why is it that popular vote? doesn't matter when it comes to our highest role here in this country for the presidency yet we are having a conversation on uh popular vote and who's going to be the majority for the senate you know that that's a little bit of a hypocrisy there in the uh, system why is it that we have these voting machines in certain states in certain counties you know we we talked about this um when i registered to vote um, in Chattanooga, I had to sit down and do a paper ballot. I was so confused. <laughs> and you did not, Carol. Um, the first time I voted in 2012, um, I used a machine when I was living in the state of Ohio. You know, so there's a lot of a, a lot of hypocrisy. The other thing that I was thinking of was money. It seems I've got, I got a party associated with money, and I don't want people. Uh, running this and being involved with money and then the other side is people we're we don't care about that aspect and i don't want to say we don't care but uh, you know that's how it comes off sometimes that's not the issue here the issue is what do we give to the people um so those are just my next question was going to be about money (laughs) (laughs) i think you know carol and i definitely talk about how a good chunk of some of this stems down to money um and I, I definitely do think uh, I see that in more areas, especially when you guys are breaking up the country, running it as a business. Um, like, ideally, that's not how someone wants to look at it. But in reality, that's that's what it is. And these politicians and their paychecks and some of them recently uh, ensuring that that's brought into vote, that they get a higher paycheck for the work that they're doing. It's it's wild, is what it is. 
Well, this is why I go back to term limits. The reason I push for that is because that was a change to the Constitution back in 1913. When Congress amended the Constitution to allow them to do a lot more than what they were ever intended. And the American people, me being one of them until the last five to ten years, we've been on autopilot. We held our government with some prestige of some part that they were there to take care of us, that that we elected these people to to look after my best interest. But we're finding that that's not what's been happening. Um, when you when you stand in front of a twenty thirty thousand dollar freezer and Brandon and I've had this conversation eating a thirteen dollar pint of ice cream complaining about the coronavirus and staying home and two blocks from your house are blocks and blocks of homeless people there's a disconnect they're no longer for the people that and that's I'm just curious how you feel about Loeffler running running for Senate. She's the richest member of the of the Congress. Um. Well, I'm not going to say they, either. They own the, the New York Stock Exchange. A lot of people didn't well, know that that was a thing that even could be owned. So, and like Nancy Pelosi is not my favorite person, and I'm not going to defend her in any way. And I would love it if everyone in Congress were you know, making $75,000 a year and that their net worth was less than a million dollars. Like I would love that. I think the Congress would look very different, but sure. it's, just, it's it's not a partisan thing. There are like the Republican party is full of mega wealthy people. And, and so, well, you so know, I don't the even, joke, Jay, the joke used to be that the Republicans came, Republicans came into office, rich. To, for power, and the Democrats came into office to gain monetary value to gain power. So no. No, that that sounds about right. So uh, I just I, I don't I don't focus on the wealth of the individuals because I don't think that that matters all that much. Um, it, it's it's distasteful, but I like to look at systemic problems rather than individual you know, personalities or proclivities or anything like that. And so my question about money to you was going to be uh, about how you feel about the the system we have of campaign finance and, before and after Citizens United. Um, I, I'm not familiar with Citizens United. That So that is the most I'm surprising thing. I'm saying maybe I should be. <laughs> That, that, that it's literally the most surprising thing you, you've said all day. Uh, it, it's a Supreme Court case. And I mean, may, maybe if I talk about it, it'll jog your memory. Um, I want to say 2010, it was a Supreme Court case. And it actually had to do with this, uh, this I think it was a PAC, you know, political action committee that wanted to run a film about Hillary Clinton. And their name was Citizens United. And they ran afoul of campaign finance laws in the process of all this. And I'm not, I'm not going to be able to recite all the details and it doesn't matter that much, but basically the case went to the Supreme Court where Citizens United was arguing, no, we should be able to spend this money in this way. And the Supreme Court said, you're right, you should. And 
I would argue that our system of campaign finance was awful before that, and and that uh, Supreme Court ruling has been seen widely as a turning point that has opened people's eyes to the problem that already existed because it got so much worse. And so to put it in super simple terms, uh, not because you need it simplified, but just you know, for the listeners and, and uh, to, to have the conversation be simplified, um, I would focus more, like when I say I would focus more on systemic issues, the way I like to phrase it is, who do the politicians work for? And, you know, uh, we've been talking about old sayings and old jokes. And the old saying is, he who pays the piper calls the tune. And so I would argue that whoever is funding elections gets undue influence over politicians. And, and that is so much more important than the personal wealth of the individual candidate because candidates don't spend their own money on their campaigns. They get money from, you know, special interest groups or nonprofit groups or labor or corporations or whatever, you know, or just mega wealthy people who want influence over the government. And so I would argue that what we need is publicly funded elections because, and like, I think a lot of people hear that as distasteful or they think like, but we hate politicians. <laughs> they don't work for us. Why do you want my tax dollars to go fund their campaigns? Because he who pays the piper calls the tune. If citizens through tax dollars are paying for candidates, uh, you know, campaign expenses, well then all of a sudden we're the ones who have an influence over what they do, how they vote, and special interests and mega donors and corporations don't get that special seat at the table just because they help fund the elections. So I, I, I formed my question <laughs> as a monologue, but uh, yeah, I was, I was curious if that sort of makes sense or resonates with you. Well, it definitely makes sense to me. It does, and and I worked for a company. Um, that when I became was promoted to a management position, um, I was asked about PAC, and I said, I, and I was young then. I was younger than either of the two of you all, and I said, um, I don't know what that is. And they told me, and I said, Oh, no, 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 I am not doing that. Well, but they're good to call you in the office and you're going to have to contribute as a manager of the organization because the pack is what will fight for them for streets and signs and this and that that they need for this big business uh -huh. and sure enough i was called down and said oh no no as part of management you must contribute to the pack and I said, but I don't, and this was, you know, because back then I didn't, I'm like, you know, a lot of young people at that point, I'm like, this doesn't pertain to me. Well, it does, because it helps move the business forward. This helps pay the people who, and that's how I learned about what PACs do. And I went, I was forced, I paid a dollar a month. <laughs> Because of my position, my position. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have stayed in that position. Mm -hmm. um, I so 
I think it's ridiculous that those things happen. I I agree there should be there should be um, some of the best candidates that came around over the last few years are the ones that were perpetuated by individual donations because they're forced to get out there and meet the people. Yeah, exactly. So j- just so you know, and I, oh yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and I think there needs to be a cap on what they're allowed to spend in a campaign. Oh, yeah, I love that. Um, I, I just wanted to point out that is one of those policies that only the most progressive of Democrats are in favor of, and almost everyone else in government is against it. But when you poll the general public, it is massively, massively supported. But then if you say that the Democrats are in favor of it, then the support goes down among Republicans. But is it, I mean, that, that is one of those things that uh, I think, I mean, the, as we said, the labels are damaging and this sort of inability to see cross-partisan policy ideas. Like, I, I, uh, like, I call myself a, a progressive and the ideas that I espouse fall into the progressive column and, and because we need some sort of language to explain the world to each other, that's the word we use. But so much of what I support doesn't belong in one political column it should be seen as blatantly obvious to everyone <laughs> and and this is one of those examples well and i'll be honest in all of the stuff that i've heard come from the democratic side i have not heard that about the packs or individual donations well because the leadership is not the progressive wing of the democratic party that, well that's that is, true that's true right and and so the leadership we, i mean you know why leadership is who it is, right? They're the best fundraisers. So th- just, just think how much the leadership of the parties may be shaken up if leadership wasn't based on how much you can fundraise from mega donors. Oh yeah, I even in our I'm I don't know where you're at. I'm in Tennessee, and to see the amount of money that was. Spent Spent in Tennessee on the local Senate races and then on the presidential races was just astronomical. How many people could we feed with that money? Yeah, I mean, there are also limits. You know, other countries have limits on how long the election can be. You know, like not not just the amount you can spend, but we could say our election is only six weeks long. (laughs) I, I would love that. (laughs) <laughs> rather than six years <laughs> yeah exactly. i know i'm exaggerating everyone not much though <laughs> so when we you said let's say the other candidates it's loffler and warnock and purdue and osnoff i think Ossoff, but yeah Ossoff, that's right i'm sitting here looking at it and said it wrong sorry Oh. Okay, the two Republican candidates are Loeffler and Purdue, and the Democrats is Warnock and Os- Ossoff. Mm-hmm. Is Ossoff Ossoff. One of those. There, I just gave him extra plug <laughs> because I can't say his name. <laughs> 
right now in that race early voting ends on january the first the election is on january the fifth so if you want to do early voting and see that's an, i think we do early voting way too long to begin with um, so there I'm kind of like to me that opens it up for a whole lot of other people to be able to get their hands into that voting um, the in the first week of casting ballots 1.6 million votes were cast currently per Purdue is leading Ossif by a 1% margin, 49 to 48. Warnock is ahead of Loeffler by 2%, and so Loeffler's trailing 49 to 47. Both just, just to races. Clarify, we, we don't actually know. Yeah. We don't actually know how people voted. We, we only know uh, party affiliation, and if anyone's an independent, then they're not going to be able to be counted in that. What? That's true. I and we were just looking at the two, the Democratic and Republican Party. As sad as it is, there's just not enough traction in any of the other parties. Because that was one thing we were amazed at when I went back and looked: how many different parties are out there to control everything because of money. Now the Independent Party has increased. Um, what's the word um fo a following per se in voting and have increased over the last several elections people, um, people but, unwilling to call themselves either a republican or democrat but the end there is no independent party that's it's not a party it's a it's, lack of party um, okay and, and, <laughs> I, and, and our, our system I, I would just point out like this is another structural issue and it's not it's not just a sad state of like oh wouldn't it be nice if people would vote for third parties the way our system is designed I mean like structurally the way our voting system is designed makes it impossible for a third party to emerge we have had other parties in the past but when a new party comes along and manages to take over, one of the existing parties has to die in the process. And so it, it is a it is a feature or bug, however you want to look at it, of our system that we are not a parliament. We do not have a parliamentary system. We do not have the mechanism in place for multiple parties to emerge. And, and so I, I've been thinking about this recently and it, it creates this false idea like we only have uh, two ideologies in our country, which is definitely not true. And, and we touched on it today. There are multiple wings for both parties. And those wings, the progressives and the centrists and what are called the blue dog Democrats, which are the conservative Democrats, those act sort of like three parties within the Democratic Party. And the Republicans have the Freedom Caucus and I am honestly forgetting the others right now, but you know, there's like two or three wings of the Republican Party as well. And so I think that lamenting our two-party system, while there is certainly you know basis to lament lots about our system, I have taken heart recently in understanding that it's not really as bad as it seems, because if we lived in a parliamentary system where we had you know half a dozen smaller parties, 
in order for any of those smaller parties to gain any power, they would have to form a coalition. So multiple small parties would have to form a coalition in order to achieve a you know 50 plus one percent uh, you know dominance over the parliament. And so that's basically what we have. If you just Within the Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, so yeah. instead of thinking of the Democrats and Republicans as parties, if you saw them as coalitions, which they effectively are, well, okay, then it's not nearly as bad as it feels like it is. I guess the problem comes that struggle within. <laughs> Who's going to win within each of those parties? Well, sure, which is exactly the same in a parliamentary system. So... If we had three or four or five or six viable parties in the United States, that it, the exact same dynamic would play out. Okay. Well, so based on the the polls that are out right now, both of these races seem to be within the four point four margin of error, mm -hmm. which kind of brings us now full circle because what have they done to? get people out there what have they done to make people feel safe and secure in their voting um i don't i haven't seen them change anything i did not know about loffler um being tied to uh, wall street so much yeah i mean i think she's she and her husband are worth about 800 million dollars something like that no, I, I, I did know I did hear that you know they were on the wealthy aspect of all of this and, and this will sound bad to me that is a downside I, I do look at people's wealth on an individual level the reason being is because I don't they don't live life like the rest of us mm -hmm. they don't struggle to figure out how they're going to pay their bills Therefore, I don't think they're going to look at that when they're in office. I don't know that a lot of politicians look at that. We've definitely seen that during this coronavirus um, pandemic. Um, they do what they want to do, and then they tell us what to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, as I said, I don't love politicians being rich, but if there was a politician who was worth $800 million, but they were in favor of publicly funded elections, I, I would take that policy position more seriously than their personal wealth. That, that's just, you know, because I think we solve structural problems with structural solutions. And, uh, you know, the idea that our system is okay and we just need the right people in is, is I think, a fallacy that is hurting the country because it it prevents us from addressing systemic problems and convinces us to think like, let's just figure out which are the right people who have the right mindset. And, uh, you know, unfortunately when you're up against structural forces, having the right mindset isn't enough and, and we need to change how those structural forces work on people. Well, and I, and Brandon, you'll have to answer to this. Um, I don't, I, Jay may be able to, I have not, seen any um, political ads for these candidates at all ex maybe v one or two nothing but it all 
I hate attack ads. I want to hear what you're going to do. I want to hear how you're going to address some of these issues. What kind of ads are you actually seeing in Georgia? Um, so I haven't seen, and, and we had this conversation before. So the ads that I've seen from um, Ossoffson, Warnock's ads were not attackful. Um, I did not see ads from Kelly Loeffler or um, Purdue side being attackful, but there were groups that had ads that uh, supported them that were attackful. Um, we've had the conversation. You know how I feel about that attacking of uh, of radical this and left right that. All of that bothers me because that takes out the people in all of this, and now you're just looking at them as this one word. And and I can never respect uh, anything that comes from that. So there was a campaign, uh, an ad that came from a group that supported uh, Kelly Loeffler and um, and Purdue. But it didn't come from them. It was whatever group that was supportive of them. And I, and I can't remember who, but it was so bad. It was, you know, if Warnock gets in his radical views and if John Ossoff gets in his radical way. I mean, and it was horrible. And it takes away from trying to see what their aim is as far as political views, what they're working towards. It takes away from it because now you've got all this name calling. And now I have no faith and whatever that for me it takes away of i can't even not support the other candidate i'm looking at this like that was this distasteful you know defamation of character is real now that may not be the same concept when it comes to these uh political campaigns apparently but any uh, normal person that may experience that well that may be a different conversation so they're they're, they're not bad we're kind of seeing the same campaign ads run here um, I've seen the same three, I think. One for John Ossoff, one for Warnock, and then no, I've seen four because I just saw an ad, uh, a campaign ad from Kelly Loeffler just the other day. Um, they did not. Kelly Loeffler did not have one. I've seen one for Purdue. She did not have one until I saw it recently, um, really just a few days ago. So I've seen them from all parties now, and then that group that supports Kelly Loeffler and Purdue. Um, and they're not they're not horrible except for that one group you know each side is definitely saying this is what i'm going to do and i this is what the other candidate is not doing so uh, as far as the campaigning goes campaigning needs to be transitioned altogether <laughs> they don't campaign like they used to in any election uh, no like i said i'd like to hear more about what what their stand is now between Warnock and Loeffler um, Warnock does lean let's see because I don't know a lot about him either uh, one of their big complaints is how he was very supportive of Fidel Castro in the day you know, I, I, you're getting close I, I, to the campaign take, point. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I would just, if, if Fidel Castro comes up, I would dig five layers deep in your fact checking of that. Because it, when it, whenever communism gets mentioned, you can almost be certain that uh, it, it is being manipulated or overstated in some way. So like, I have actually no idea the reference there, but, um, and I, 
I would be willing to believe it after I thoroughly fact-checked it. But communism is one of those things where it gets lied about so often that you should never take it at face value. Well, um, I guess they were just referencing that he backed him because when he visited the U.S., um, they invited him to their church um, to denounce the U.S.'s embargo on Cuba, um, things like that. Now, there's nothing, that's the only negative thing in here. Um, that's what I was going to say. You're getting to the point now in the race where uh, information that is starting to be revealed to kind of make the other party or the other candidate seem like this terrible person. Well, I, but I, now here's the problem I have with Warnock right now in trying to research him. Um, the All three of the other candidates have... Um, Pages and part of their campaign site that you can go to that lays out their platform. But I'm having trouble finding that page for Warnock. Hold on, maybe I just did. Because Loeffler's got a, a very extensive list of where she stands on the issues and I may just have found Warnock's because that's been my problem ah I did just find it with him look at you learning how to work that computer hey you bite your tongue because <laughs> like uh, here his stand on voting rights ensuring every vote is counted um, especially after the gubernational you know what I'm talking about, the federal election. Gubernatorial. <laughs> yeah, but it's got a... Yep, that's it. Um, I am kind of educated. I know that just didn't sound like it. <laughs> um, give with, you a spelling bee, apparently. <laughs> so it says, whether through vote by mail or in-person voting, all Georgia voters must have the opportunity to use their voice at the ballot box. I fully agree with that. The only thing I I've have had reservations about in Georgia and other states that did not do mass mail-outs of ballots, they don't have their checks and balances in place to verify everything. And I'm just hoping that for this, that they've learned their lesson and so that this Senate race, that they put all of those checks and balances in place. So. Um, I agree with him there. I, I would also point out that just in terms of trust in our elections, that the, the origin of that really goes back about 10 years to uh, 2010 and, and in the wake of 2010. Are, are the two of you familiar with the, and like, it almost sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it, they talked about it, uh, wrote articles about it. Um, the Republican Party strategy to take over state legislatures so that they could be in charge of uh, redrawing the electoral maps. Is any of that ringing a bell? For me, it is not. I was in high school and did not yeah. care <laughs> at the time. I have heard it. I didn't hear of it via party, but I, I didn't pay attention to that part as much. But 
I've heard that recently. It, is that tied into back then too? Well, so so Carl, do you remember Carl Carl Rove from the George W. Bush days? Yes. Yeah, so he's the one who wrote an article. I, I you know I can't remember which paper, you know, Washington Post or something like that, basically laying out this strategy to have the Republicans in power at the state level so that they could redraw the maps and gerrymander lots of uh, the districts, you know, around the country in order to give the Republican Party, uh, you, you know, an overly weighted, uh, you know, degree of power based on the number of votes that they actually receive. And so they totally succeeded in that. It was masterfully uh, <laughs> executed. And, um, and it happened in 2010 because that was the year of the census. They do the census every 10 years. And so it was a census year. And part of what you do in the wake of the census is redraw the maps. And so being in control at that moment in time is... Uh, is what determines who gets to be in charge of redrawing those maps, which is another terrible thing. I think it should be a nonpartisan commission that is in charge of that. But uh, that is the case from 2010. And it is since that point that they managed to uh, sort of take over state legislatures and, and hold that power, even, even often while getting fewer votes in the state they would maintain control of their state legislatures. But it is in the wake of that that the talking point about voter fraud started. And there was never any evidence for it, but it was to counteract the Democratic call, you know, the Democratic Party's call for expanded voter access. And if you're in favor of democracy, then no one should be opposed to expanded voter access. But the only way to prevent that is to claim that if we have more voters, then there will be more fraud because everyone should be in favor of everyone voting and no one's in favor of fraud. And so they use that as a talking point to prevent uh, voter expansion policies and instead put in place restrictions on voting under the auspices of getting rid of fraud, even though there was never any evidence of widespread fraud. So I, I just I, I like to point out where the origins of these things come from to help people question, hey, where, where did I hear about that? Why do we talk about this a lot? Have there been hundreds or thousands of documented cases of fraud? No, not at all. Even uh, when Trump was elected and they put, uh, I think Chris Kobach was from Kansas, and he was a big voter fraud guy. They put him in charge of a commission seeking out voter fraud, and he couldn't find any, and the commission folded. So even when they are as, as uh, you know, you put as big of a bulldog as you can in charge of finding voter fraud, they fail. And yet voter fraud is used as a scare term to and you know carol like it was a it just like you know put the flag up in my head when you were saying that you didn't like extended early voting because it gives people more time to get in there and do something and and the implication was that it opens the door to more fraud there's no evidence that there's that more fraud happens 
in states where there's early voting, but restricting early voting does restrict the number of people who get to vote. So it's this really unbalanced argument that we're having where people are having their ability to vote restricted based on the fallacy that we're fighting against fraud because fraud doesn't really exist in any widespread way. And, you know, to part of that, I can agree. The other part is, I think, but my my bigger issue is blanket mail-in and these machines. Those are my, t- I, I think that if you have people voting in person and you're doing that a week or two in advance, I just think they should be paper ballots. I, I agree that there, there's got to be a check and balance. Um, we know that there are unsavory people out there. We know there are people... They're even talking again that Russia may have um, hacked into, they definitely hacked into some of our uh, government computer systems. Um, mm-hmm. But if if somebody hacks into these or has this voting machine programmed to do one thing, is there any way to prove that it did something that it wasn't supposed to do? And I just don't know that we know that. The voter machines are my biggest concern in this country for voter fraud and whether or not we can even prove that. You know, I just think in the age of technology, there should be a way for me to verify my vote. I I just don't understand why that. And I've, I've already mentioned that there are gaps. You know, why is it that in this state I'm voting with a machine on a computer in this state I'm voting by paper why is it in the same state that I'm doing the same thing but different counties you've got a lot of gaps everywhere but I think for me the biggest one is definitely why am I not able to verify this especially in this age of technology where is my vote where can I see it I'm in favor of the federal government stepping in and setting some really basic standards for how our elections are run but there's there's a really reasonable argument that it is a safety feature that our elections are run at the county and and sort of district level and ultimately run by secretaries of state for each of the 50 states because it makes it nearly impossible to hack a major national election because you you wouldn't just have to hack one system you'd have to hack dozens of systems all over the country so having it dispersed that way like the the power of how the election is run dispersed that way it's a very it's a conservative idea it's it's that local government you know local control idea and it, it's one of those things that i as a progressive don't have any problem with with the caveat that I would like the government to impose sort of baselines to say sort of uh, across the board, we all need to you know meet these standards, but I don't want the federal government to then be in control of running everyone's government from the 10,000 foot view. I can definitely understand that as well. And I agree with that. I think, I think that every state should be responsible for purging bad registrations if somebody's dead or somebody's moved those should have been corrected and we're finding that many states do not do that routinely well i mean because it's a balancing act because whenever you purge 
your voting rolls, you are inevitably going to end up purging people who do not deserve to be purged, and then you run the risk of disenfranchising them. So if if you want to purge your voter rolls really extensively, but you also want to implement same-day voter registration, well then okay, you know, maybe that's a reasonable compromise where the voter rolls are cleaner, but anyone who walks up on election day and is told that they're not on the rolls is allowed to uh, enroll in that moment, well, then maybe those people won't fall through the cracks nearly as much. But that, that's one of those things, like, dead people don't vote. <laughs> people, people who move out of, out of state generally don't vote. They, they vote where they live. And the idea that having these sort of outdated voter rolls is a threat to our democracy is part of this package of talking points that yep. leads us to lean in the direction of suppressing voter access. Whereas what we really need, if we believe in democracy, which I guarantee you, a lot of people in America do not fundamentally believe in democracy. And, uh, you know, not very many of them will say it out loud, but if you're not in favor of everyone voting or you think it's okay to suppress people's votes, you are not in favor of democracy. And so if, if, uh, if, well, I'm in favor of everybody being able to vote. Yeah. I'm also in favor that everybody should have to be able to identify they, who they are, who they say they are. If you are getting, you know, some people say that it's suppression because not everybody in lower incomes have IDs. But if you're on some form of federal assistance, you have to have some form of ID. I mean, a lot of poor people aren't on those forms of assistance. I mean, you, you you can get into a million different directions of weeds here, but... If, you know, if you restrict voting, it is going to disproportionately affect certain groups of people, and those people vote in certain directions. So, it, it is not a coincidence. Like there, there's never, there's never been a bill passed that says you know hunting licenses can't be used as your voter ID, or you know, or, or an yeah. ID that allows you to uh, register to vote, but. Student IDs are not a viable ID. Like, what's the justice in that? It, the only difference is the demographics of people who tend to have those various IDs. So it's it, like once you get into the details, it is uh, it's pretty repulsive. Uh, frankly, like it is uh, infuriating the lengths to which the Republican Party has gone to uh, disenfranchise people from voting, and it's not accidental. The uh, I think it was North Carolina went was taken to court because after the Civil Rights Act, excuse me, the the Voting Rights Act was uh, largely overturned by the Supreme Court a few years ago. Uh, a lot of states in the Old South immediately implemented these voter restriction laws that they otherwise could not have passed with the Voting Rights Act in place, and North Carolina did one of the, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to think of a polite yet extremely Oh, no, just, just say it use. out there. Just um, put it out there. So when they were taken to court based on the voter restrictions laws that they put in place, the judge said that 
African-American communities were targeted with surgical precision. They did the research to figure out what voting mechanisms uh, black people use, uh, you know, what what trends that they tend to, to do. And so there's a um, souls to the polls is is sort of a, you know, African-American tradition where you go to church on Sunday and then everyone walks over and does their early voting. And um, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But they saw that black people disproportionately take that action. And they looked at all the IDs that black people tend to use to register to vote versus the IDs that white people tend to use to register to vote. And they allowed all of the IDs that white people use and disallowed all of the IDs that black people tend to use. And they restricted early voting and tried to do away with the souls to the polls tradition just by restricting it. And on the surface, it looks like the same policy applies to everyone. So how could it be biased? But it's clearly targeting a specific group of people. And so I, I believe they actually lost that case because they were so overtly targeting a specific group of people trying to prevent people who would tend to vote Democratic, just prevent them from voting at all under the argument of preventing voter fraud. It's uh, repulsive. It's like fundamentally Well, that's the anti- same tactic that's going on right now in yeah. the state of Georgia. There, That is the same strategy that's being used of this is going to be a form of voter fraud that we've seen before and or this is going to be rigged, whatever the case may be. And there's those encouragements come off as just don't vote when, in fact, some will argue that's more dangerous to not vote at all. You know, and then you have those who are on the moral end of it is wrong. Just you need to be doing your due diligence to your community, to your state and to vote. But that is the exact same strategy that is one of the strategies that's taking place in the state of Georgia right now. Well, and and that's one of the strategies that happens why they don't want ID at all. Because if you don't, anybody can vote. Whether you are a legal American citizen or not, um, I am all for immigration. I've said this. We did massive episodes on this, but it has to be done legally. We need to know who's coming into the country. Um, I, I don't think anyone's in favor of not knowing who's coming into the country. If, if you're in favor of wildly expanding the number of people who can enter, there's there's no one suggesting that we shouldn't keep a record of it. Well, um, unfortunately, when you open borders, they're not, and and the Democrats have been notorious for allowing illegals to stay illegal in the country for the but same, if, for voting purposes. But if we change, like, the, the only reason there's illegal immigration is because legal immigration is so incredibly difficult, which is based oh, on sure. a legacy of, of racism. There is a deep legacy of racism well it's also big business i mean yeah big business needs the cheap labor that they get from immigrants so oh no no lawyers and your uh cost to even apply for visas yeah and we we shoot ourselves in the foot 
because we don't fix it. As, as early as 2006 was a huge bill of reform um, put to Congress, they couldn't, mm-hmm. they wouldn't and couldn't even get it resolved. And it's a lot of, when you re- review the reform bill of 2006, it's a lot of the same crap we're dealing with now. Well, DACA is a perfect example. Obama's administration used an executive order for DACA, protecting them. I'm fine with that. But he left office with it unresolved. Then Trump's got it, and he's supposed to resolve it. Well, the resolution really is either a fast track to citizenship, or they have to go back to their country of origin. So he didn't get it resolved. Now it's going to go back to Biden, and Biden is just going to go, okay, amnesty for all again. So we're not fixing it. We've got to find a way to push to get some of this stuff fixed. Voting ID. I think every voter should have an ID. I think it should be a voter ID. It doesn't have to be your driver's license. I think we should have a blanket push to get every single person in the country a voter registration card that says I'm an American citizen and you show it at the voting place. I've been to voting. They didn't look at my ID. They just wanted my address. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's definitely some some gaps there. There are still going to be some people who aren't going to be able to prove that they're American citizens who, you know, were born here and just don't have the necessary paperwork. And so I still think that it's a solution in search of a problem, you know, but that's what we're I, here for. And that's why we're called because <laughs> that's the next question. We need to start looking at what kind of things do we put in place that we push that could help close this gap? If you're born in the country, you've got to have a birth certificate. No, no, definitely not. That's not the case for, I mean, especially older older black people who were born in circumstances where, okay. you know, they, they weren't born in a hospital. They don't have their paperwork. No, that's, it's more widespread than people like to think. Okay, but, but then that the question is, how can we go back and resolve that for them? Is there a way to put that out so I mean you've got census people that go door to door if we're going on a full gauged get the vote out what can we put in place to help those people to not be suppressed how can we get them an ID so that they're not being disparaged from voting yeah there are solutions to this again there's no evidence that there's a massive problem that needs to be dealt with and we do have a finite amount of energy you know I mean there's a finite amount of time there's a finite amount of uh, focus that people can put into politics and I would I would put dealing with voter fraud so far down the list because we have so many problems to deal with but is suppression suppression part of fraud Suppression is what is happening because the Republican Party recognizes that the more people vote, the less likely they are to win. So, and, and 
that's not me. It's another one of those things. It sounds like a conspiracy theory or a you know a wild-eyed progressive saying that. But Paul Weyrich is the, the man who is given the most credit uh, for sort of marrying the uh, Christian evangelical movement to the Republican Party. And he is on tape back in the 70s or 80s saying that he does not want everyone to vote. He is not in favor of sort of good government ideals of everyone voting and then having the vote sort of pan out as it is. He makes the argument that elections from our founding have never been won by a majority of people because we've never had a majority of people cast election, you know, cast their votes for the winner. You know, we don't have enough people voting for it to be an actual majority. And so we're fighting for this minority of, of voters. And he points out quite rightly that as the voting populace goes up, the conservative and evangelical Christian conservative power and ability to get elected goes down. And so he argues very forcefully, we should not be encouraging everyone to vote. And the ultimate result of that is that we have policies that actively discourages voting. And we, we, we have never had a moment in time in our country's history when there hasn't been a large chunk of people in power actively working to suppress the votes of people who they think will vote against them. That's what voter suppression is. Voter fraud is a made-up argument to try to justify what they already wanted to do. They've, they've been suppressing votes since the founding of the country but since that is no longer sort of politically viable to say, like we're, we're, no, no one would accept someone saying, we need to prevent these people from voting. You used to be able to say that in this country. You used to be able to just say like, what are you talking about? Black people shouldn't be able to vote, but you can't say that now. We have progressed to the point where society will not accept that. And so instead of saying that, they say we have to prevent voter fraud. You know, I would be hard pressed to argue that even though you can't say it in today's society, there are still people trying to implement tactics to basically suggest that. Of course, exactly. So, That's exactly what I what I believe. I definitely. Oh, go ahead, Carol. Well, I, I, going back to the fraud thing, just because I'm told that there, I have I have seen too many affidavits that are supposedly out there I want definite confirmation that those are fraudulent because otherwise just because you say there's not fraud there is fraud and the we've question had that conversation. is how do we no, no, no. stop that from going forward no I mean I, I don't know what affidavits you're, you're referring to but I wouldn't I wouldn't look up claims that people have made look at the commissions that have investigated fraud look at the, the actual convictions that they have made and then judge for yourself like people people can sign affidavits and there doesn't have to be any basis in fact for those you know in, in theory they could be held accountable for making a false claim but they can just say I believed it to be true and they could then be proven to be wrong so don't look at affidavits look at the the investigations and the results of those investigations because that's certainly what I'm referring to 
Okay. I, because the, the, the things that have been on the news, even mainstream media, where they show acts that are not being viewed as... I'm, and I can't find the word that I'm trying to say. Out of the norm. Why is it all of a sudden we cannot say, I want proof that there is no voter fraud. I want you to show me. And like I said earlier, most of mine goes back to these machines. Well, and you and I have talked about that. We've talked about how, you know, if those if that is the case, then who is overseeing uh, that this is fraudulent, who's confirming this, you know, and Jay also brings up a good point of, you know, there can people who can claim just, you know, people sue out of thin air. So yep. just because they sue out of thin air doesn't mean that it's actually valid. So I, I would take what Jay says as uh, pretty much a, a good consensus as well. Who did the investigation? Who was overseeing this? Who can actually get in front of the American people and say, I'm documenting this is confirmed as fraud or this is not confirmed as fraud. Exactly. That's what I would like to see happen. Somebody take responsibility for the education of people because it sure as hell is not our schools. (laughs) And education is a whole different conversation. (laughs) And it is certainly not the media in general. How do we get to a point where we fix the integrity of this? Right. I think we've got a ways to go. Well, sure. You, you, do, do you know anything about uh, H.R. 1, the the bill that the Democrats put forward in the House when they, uh, I, I guess that may have been not this, set, well, uh, in 2018, I guess. Anyway, it was, it was an entire slate of pro-democracy, small d democracy reforms because they recognized that Fixing our democracy, reinstilling a you know a sense of assurance that our democracy is working properly, functioning for everyone, verifiable, but you know open to everyone and not restricting uh, voters. I mean that was that entire bill they put forward, and of course the Grim Reaper Mitch McConnell made sure that it didn't get a vote in the Senate, and I. I would argue that what you are lamenting and longing for is running directly opposed to what the Republican Party is doing. They are not interested in educating people about how to properly vote. They are running disinformation campaigns. Uh, That's both sides. I I am going to say that's both sides. I'm I'm talking about voter fraud that that... all the all the investigations that have been done have turned up no voter fraud, but only one party is encouraging us to believe that there is rampant voter fraud. That is disinformation. That's not like they're trying to educate us or make us concerned about making our democracy function properly. They know that there is not voter fraud, and they're, they are encouraging us to believe that there is. But, see, I take the opposite stand because... I have serious questions about the way that some of these elections in these areas have been run because we don't check IDs. 
and we don't ensure that they are American citizens that voted and yet because and I'm not the only one I'm putting this out there because really there's some 60 million people who feel that their vote was disenfranchised because we're not ensuring that every vote that's being counted is an American citizen because we have too many sanctuary cities where they're not checking that and to me that's voter fraud too it's yeah. not just it's not just you know the the Republicans the Democrats are saying oh there's no voter fraud but yet they're not sending out the information to counteract that it's I, I, all I have to say is oh, there's no voter fraud here, but when I ask or people are asking legitimate questions about illegals or people that are deceased, we're not we're not putting out that information to ensure that people know these are not the case. These are not being counted, and that's not happening either. Well, so I think that that is happening, and I think that right-wing media and the Republican Party is not putting out that information. <laughs> I think that they prefer for people to believe that dead people are voting when that is not the case. They prefer for people to believe that uh, illegal immigrants are voting when there's no evidence that that's the case. And frankly, it doesn't make logical sense. Voting illegally is a crime. It is punishable. And people do get caught for it every once in a while. And the cost-benefit ratio for voting illegally makes no sense to, you know, each individual vote is not very powerful. The chance that your vote is going to change the result of an election is incredibly unlikely. Like, for... Uh, for anyone to even take part in an election that is that close in their entire lifetime is unlikely. And well, so Gore people, and Bush, their difference was what, 2,000 votes? Uh, I, I think it was 427 or something. But it was, that yeah, is, it was really close. That, no, but that, that's, a, that's actually exactly my point, is that the chance that you were going to be a Floridian in the year 2000, like that was your one shot of all the people in the country who are going to live their entire lives in America, you had to be in that one state that one year in order to take take part in a vote that close. Like, it just happens so rarely that to think, I'm going to risk a criminal record to vote illegally, especially if you're an illegal immigrant. I mean, we could get into all the stats about how Ill illegal immigrants uh, or as we would prefer to say, undocumented immigrants commit crimes at a far lower uh, percentage than native-born Americans, the idea that they would risk being deported in order to cast a vote? But my question, Jay, comes back to if they're not getting ID and they're not requiring to verify that they're registered, how are you going to catch them? Man, you can't. They, they don't even speed like they don't want to be caught for anything that that if you're an like if you're an illegal immigrant in a foreign country would you dare vote if your livelihood depended on being able to stay in that country if your city and state is not asking for ID 
We don't ask you to verify. And border states are really, this is a big issue for them. If If there's no trail... How can you hold them accountable? How are you going to deport somebody if you don't even know they've done it? That's part of the fraud on the other side that some people have questions about. But we just say there's no voter fraud. And you and I, we've already established, the three of us earlier, that we know that there's fraud going on. It's just a matter of define widespread Oh, what we said earlier, we know that there's disparities in voting. There always has been. Sorry, There's never going to be a perfect election. Well, I have to go back and listen because I thought earlier that we had, we didn't say that that there have always been election problems. Um, I so I I said was I incorrect? I I said that there are isolated incidents, and there are always going to be a a handful of clowns, but they are such outliers that they never have any impact on the election. And when they get caught, they get punished. And it is ridiculous to think that anyone would uh, do that in a widespread way. Uh, What I said about elections throughout the ages is that there has always been baked in voter suppression, usually based on racism, uh, now, in a hyperpartisan era, it's mostly focused on trying to prevent the opposing party from being able to vote. But there's they sort of use race as a stand-in because black people right. vote Democratic so much that they can target black people and argue, no, we're not targeting black people, we're just targeting Democrats. <laughs> I will say, it always does seem like when you see the news and you hear something so asinine you're just like who is out here risking it to say that who is out here committing these crimes i mean have you ever just seen some of these incidences that that come on the news and you're just like really you were stuffing (laughs) ballots and putting them in the name of six-year-olds or something crazy like that and you're just and you but they always get caught you know so it's always something you're just like i who was even well, investigating that but they get caught and that's what i'm saying you know what when it's very big like that but when we're talking about when there's no checks and balances how do you catch that if there's nothing tied to that how do we catch that and so that may be something that we need to to look at going down the road we've got two more years before the next election after this runoff yeah i do think that would be a good episode to kind of talk about where are you getting your information that gives you that concern? Because I, whenever I've looked up or, or heard an explanation, you know, an expert comes on and says, okay, well, here's how the elections work. Here's how, you know, voter verification works. I've always found it very encouraging that there is basically nowhere that has no verification process at all. Like you have to be a registered voter everywhere in the country you have to be on the voter rolls and so if you're going to vote illegally you have to be voting illegally under a name that is on the rolls you can't just vote as yourself you have to be you have to pretend to be someone else but how are you going to guess which name to pretend to be you know like there's all these Places well, where- if you got same day, the the new thing because of coronavirus was the same day voter registration. 
mm-hmm. you know, there there was not a lot of background checks or you weren't on voter rolls because you were registering. Sure. And with the blanket, and I have no problem with mail-in ballots at all. My only issue, Brandon will tell you, I've said this all along, way before, it's when you blanketed your entire state and you have never done that before. But they, they, you know, when you say blanket the entire state, they're only sending out ballots to people on the voter rolls. It's yes, not like but every they count- won't. Well, but they, but they, they didn't clean up their voter rolls. They didn't know if those people have moved or done, you know, um, deceased. That's where a lot of the deceased ones came from. There are checks and balance in the state of Tennessee. You can do a mail-in ballot, but I have to register, send it in, and request that ballot be mailed to me. Uh-huh. Then they mail it to me. When I send in my vote my signature has to match what was in the registry and i can't just walk into the polling place today register and vote that takes out some of the checks and balances and so i think that voter integrity is just something that some people have a question about and we have to find a way in our next elections between now and then to find a way to make those people who have questions about voter integrity more comfortable that their vote is secure and that everybody's vote is by a a person that is registered and is a legal citizen of the country that's not that's not necessarily me that's what you're seeing in a lot of of the complaints about questions whether it came up by trump voter fraud election integrity especially and i go back because it's the machines that wasn't even a republican thing and that started in 2017 and possibly before but it was three democratic senators in 2017 who questioned the integrity of those machines and us as a country have done nothing to make people feel any more comfortable today than in 2017 and we're and going one party in- has done a lot to make everyone feel less comfortable but it was started by the Democratic Party, and they've not. And all they say is there's no voter fraud. That's fine. Tell me that, but show me that. Show me what we've done to make these people comfortable with the election. I, I'm all for taking them all out and just do paper ballots, but that's not feasible. I definitely think um, we've got a couple segues to a future episodes we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up here um but voter suppression um voter uh, what was the word integrity um the discussion of the machines i i think we've got a couple we may do one good hot episode on a couple of those um that was really good um, before we get out of here, Jay, want to say thank you for joining us today. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug as far as with your podcast or where any of our listeners can find you? Yeah, I mean, just Best of Left Podcast. Uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, check it out. Awesome. Best of Left Podcast. And we'll be sure to check that out more as well. 
Um, we are and going- I want to say thank you for being on, Jay. It's given me a lot of things that I'll go back and look into, too. Oh, good. Thanks. And then you got people like me who really got to listen, and there were a lot of great points that were brought up that I did not even consider. Um, so I appreciate the conversation from both of you. Again, thank you, Jay, for joining us. Um, everyone, please remember to go vote if you are in the state of Georgia. The Senate runoff is a very big election, um, especially as we get ready to roll into our new presidential election. Um, confirming our new president here in the first of the year. So that takes place on January 5th uh, for the Senate runoff. So make sure, I think the the time has passed for you to register to vote, but make sure that if you are registered to vote in the state of Georgia that you get out and uh, either complete your early voting if it's still going on or your same day voting on January 5th. Please do not listen to people that are out there telling you not to vote. I don't care what party. I don't care who you vote for. Your number one duty as a citizen is to get out there and vote. Absolutely. Make sure you check out the website at www.therealsolutionpodcast.com as well as on your social media platforms. Uh, Instagram and Facebook and whatever she's tweeting these days I I still don't know and I don't trust it but it's okay Um, (laughs) but by the time you hear this episode Christmas will have passed it will be before New Year's so we wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and we will see you next time on another episode of the Real Solution Podcast Bye. bye bye